0: Thank you for coming on, Chen. Mm-hmm. You are a investment advisor. You help clients choose their investments wisely, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. That's
1: a great way to put it. Yeah,
0: <laughs> okay, okay. Was, how, 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 how is it being in the finance kind of um, world? Is it, because I know, mm-hmm. I don't know, a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of people in high school have that misconception that it's very difficult mm-hmm. and it's, it's, all, it's all about numbers, it's all about math, it's all mm-hmm. about calculus you just explain a bit more on if that's true or if that's not true and Mm -hmm. how it really, really is? So
1: that's an excellent question. And it's a very important thing to know before you decide on what job and what role you want to get into in finance. There's two sides of it. I like to have finance broken down into two sections. Back-end finance, front-end finance. Back-end finance is what you mentioned all the math, the analysis, the quantitative you know, knowledge that you need to really analyze and break down numbers and companies and financial statements. And how you build up evaluation is very important in that regard. And then what you do with that information is you pitch it to people who then sell that idea. There, that's where we get to front-end finance. Numbers are really important for the back-end side. Salesmanship is very important for the front-end side. So you need to have, if you want to really succeed in the field, a mixture of two skills. You need to have both good knowledge and math. Not You don't have to be a crazy genius or anything. You don't have to be Einstein, right? Mm-hmm. But you also need very good charisma and very good salesman skills and able to communicate really well your ideas and your thoughts on why this is a great idea or why this is a good investment to make. But Would I say that it's difficult to go back to what you're originally asking? No, not necessarily. You don't need to work extremely grueling hours after a certain extent. In the beginning, getting to a position where you're comfortable, absolutely. You need to put in more time. You need to put in more effort. You need to put in more work than every single one of your competitors because for each role in finance, there's 10 hungry business students Who would die at the opportunity to get that so yeah absolutely in the beginning it's quite a drag to get there but once you're in and once you're established you can then make it whatever you want it to be so hopefully that gives you a little brief insight on it it's not difficult it just takes a lot of work and you really need to know what you're getting into before you choose a career path because once you're entrenched if you want to restart into something else it's going to take the
0: same effort all over again. Mm-hmm. So what advice would you give to those students or young adults who aren't really sure what they want to do? Mm-hmm. Should they take that gap year, which has become mm-hmm. really, really common um, right after high school, mm-hmm. or should they go into something more general mm-hmm. for university or college and then figure out what they might want to do?
1: It's all about time efficiency, and it's all about not wasting time. So. A lot of people take a gap year and they don't do anything with their time. They go and play video games. They go have fun with their friends. They go out to eat. They go spend money. They sit around at home watching Netflix. You can take a gap year like that but what do you really get out of it, right? You get yourself a one-year vacation and the person who uses their time intelligently will gap you by one year if he was going out there and prospecting going out there and meeting people, working miscellaneous jobs, getting experience, or studying for licenses, studying for different courses, right, so it's all about how you use that time. I would actually say that people who want to succeed should do what you're doing right now, Matt, because you're going out and you're meeting people, you're interviewing them, you're offering them a platform as well and value, Right. that's the most important thing, you're offering them value, and people appreciate that. People in more senior positions in finance, right? they all come from a young, hungry, and broke background, most of them at least. They like seeing young men go out there and break that barrier in a sense, right? The one who can put their foot out and say, I'm young. I don't know much, but I would love to learn more about what you do. May I borrow you for five minutes to 10 minutes? Let's grab a coffee. People love that. And that's originally how I got my clientele and how I got multiple opportunities getting into the business. As for the studying general, you know, in university, I would say that if you're not sure of what you wanna do and you just kinda wanna get an idea of what university is like, that might not be a bad idea, right? See if it's for you. Although, it's the same thing. If you're not using your time efficiently, You're just going to be wasting a year of your life and also tuition money because you might end up dropping out or being stuck in a field for four years that you don't really enjoy. So where's the sense in that, right? So yet again, to summarize, it's all about how you use your time efficiently. And if you have a plan, you should always go into anything that you do with a plan in mind. Have a goal, have outlines of what you want to do, have it broken down into components of what you want to
0: accomplish. That's super important. Is there, is there a strategy, I mean, you obviously set goals, everybody sets mm-hmm. goals. Mm-hmm. Is there a strategy you use to set your goals so you could achieve them or get closer to them more effectively and efficiently? Totally,
1: and it's something that everybody should practice. Have a business plan, right? If you're business-minded, you want to be in finance, you're an entrepreneur at heart. You know companies, you know business, you know how to create a business. Do that for yourself. How I set my goals is, I have a one-year target. Let's say, for example, as an investment um, advisor, we have key performance indicators, usually in assets under administration, commissions generated, um, growth of assets. So what I like to do is I like to set a target for myself. Either growth in my assets under administration, a set number of accounts I need to open every year, um, set number of commissions I need to generate or meetings, have a business plan update it every, I would say, three months or so, every quarter, just kind of review it, set clear defined targets on what you want to achieve, and then break it down into what you're gonna do to achieve these goals. For example, okay, well, I wanna open, let's say, 20 new accounts that are 500,000 in assets each, right, so that's 10 million for the year. Mm -hmm. Well, how am I gonna go about achieving that? I will need to meet, let's say, 20 people, a month at the minimum let's say 10 percent of them are converted that's two people a month multiply that by 12 it's 24 people huh okay I'm meeting my goals and beating it by some break it down and every three months every quarter you go back and you track You take a look at everything you tracked. how many meetings did you book how many leads did you convert what did you do right how was the result what did you end up getting how did you build that relationship so it seems very difficult, but really, you just need to get the ball rolling. You start with something big, break down into chunks, break those chunks down into even smaller chunks, and you just kind of tick it away, right? You have a task list, and you check, 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 day by day. And it's about consistency, too. You can't just stop and go and stop and go. You need to just keep moving. Albeit at a s- slow pace, you'll get to where you need to go. It's not a hair's race, right? you got to take it. Very long time and methodical approach to it and you'll see the consistent uh, consistency day over day over day super important consistency
0: mm-hmm. so so have one big goal break that up into many little goals that you could accomplish every single day mm-hmm. and you'll get to that one big goal
1: and guess what if you don't get to that one big goal well you just accomplished 20 different small goals and you might not get it right away but next year you're just so much closer right so you can mm-hmm. keep adjusting the numbers as you go along. Sometimes you might find that, hey, you know, I I beat my yearly goal in three months. Okay, what do I do now? Now you just tweak the numbers a little bit because what you're doing is working really well. Set a bigger target for yourself, right? This applies to everything, whether it's fitness, right? You go to the gym. Okay, I want to bench 225 by the end of the year. Well, what do you need to do to get there? Okay, I need to start benching twice a week. I need to track my calories, make sure I get my protein intake, and sleep well. See? You just took one big goal, broke it into four different components, and now you just got to break those four components down on, okay, well, how do I get this? How do I maximize that? How do I minimize stress? And then it all builds together to your one big purpose. It'll take a while,
0: right? But you'll get there eventually.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or just take
0: steroids, but <laughs> you Yeah, can't do that. I don't, yeah. <laughs> I mean I mean with steroids so from my understanding uh, I mean we'll just leave this conversation wherever it goes totally um, you mentioned steroids so uh, men's testosterone level has been like declining rapidly yeah so I heard from some people that taking steroids isn't that bad because it stabilizes that testosterone level on what it should or would have been like 50 years ago mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um I don't, I don't really know. I, I don't take uh, steroids or anything, but like, what, would your, what would your opinion be on that?
1: Look, I'm no health expert, and I don't take steroids either, but <laughs> I know a lot of people who are really big into bodybuilding. I have a lot of friends who are big into fitness, or personal trainers, etc., etc., et, cetera, et cetera, uh, competitors, and every single one of them have told me, if you're not planning on doing this as a career, don't do it when you're young because it messes you entirely up. The one thing I do know for a fact is when you inject exogenous testosterone or hormones of any kind, right, meaning outside of normal bodily production, your regular hormone production shuts down. So you will not produce testosterone anymore if your body knows or feels that you're injecting yourself with it and your body's very sensitive to that. So when you stop taking testosterone, what happens? It takes a while for it to kick back into gear, right? and some people may never even recover to what their natural baseline is. And a lot of the reasons why testosterone levels have been declining is because of poor diet, poor sleep hygiene, high stress load from work, all the plastics that we have surrounding us definitely is not good for our bodies, right? Yeah. So, you know, there are things that you can do in from a day-to-day basis to elevate that. Definitely don't eat like complete crap. Don't sleep less than six hours a night. Try for seven or eight, right? I myself average seven. I, I try for eight or nine if I can, but it's really tough sometimes. And there was a period where I was sleeping around five hours a night in the beginning when I was getting my, my um, clientele and my business started. It was a very busy time in my life. And my blood work showed my testosterone was just terrible. It was at the bottom probably five, 10%. And then now, after I got all of my stuff together again, it's more of a normal range, right? Yeah. So you can see the, the cause and effect of certain lifestyle changes that it has on your body. But yeah, it's just um, you know, some, something curious to think about. Yeah. Although it's important to have because testosterone definitely gives you that instinct to be motivated, to have the drive to conquer, right? I think it's something universal for most men that we have that innate desire to be something great, if that makes any sense. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. 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 You mentioned eating healthy and having a diet, um, especially the eating healthy part. Mm-hmm. In this day and age, because we have so many, I don't know. There's okay. There's this app I use. It's called Yuka. Basically, what it does is you take any product, uh, food related or like beauty or bath, right? So we're talking about food. So take any product, and you scan the QR code, and it would show, because a, a, a lot of the products that you scan it has in its database. The ones it does have in its database, it shows you all the ingredients, and if those ingredients are good for you, bad for you, if there are any additives, if those additives are safe for you or not. Um, and I, uh, I'd consider myself a pretty healthy eater. So every single food I pick up in the store or at home I always scan to make sure you know it's it's good and about I'd say about 60 or 70 percent of the food I scan is poisonous for our bodies really so there are it's, it's it's not that there's like a high amount of sugar in there or too many calories it's that the additives that they add in the food are are either banned in the in Europe or are used for um, to poison like different animals in different countries yeah. and we're taking it in small amounts yeah. but we're eating it and I, and I was just kind of like as soon as I got the app I was kind of in shock that so many foods are allowed to be sold here in Canada in the US that we are even like unaware of that are poisonous for us and are killing our bodies slowly.
1: And it's banned in other jurisdictions yes. and countries and you know what that goes to the point right? Accumulation. Accumulation small amount every single day of that stuff will add up in a year. will add up definitely. in two years, yeah. right? So the bad and the good. There's actually, I want to circle back on that question because the same thing applies on the bad side too, right? You procrastinate a little bit every single day, you waste so much time, right? Yeah. You sleep in a little bit every single day, you waste so much time. These bad habits, just like the, the diet, you eat a little bit of poisonous food every single day, you're going to feel very unhealthy down the line six months from now, Right? If not, it's going to cascade into you thinking, oh I can have a little bit more of this, oh I can have a little bit more of that, oh I can be a little bit more lazy today, I'm not going to read that book, oh I'm going to stop working out for a day, there's no harm to it. Next thing you know, you're falling off the bandwagon and you need to restart from scratch. Bad habits accumulate just like good habits accumulate. I have a pretty peculiar personality in the sense that I always want to be improving and I always want to be working towards something. And I can attribute that to, that mindset to helping me get to where I am today and ideally more in the future as well because I'm only just starting my career as well. But it's a very important lesson to have and it's good to get into that mindset early. The thing that helped me a lot was going to the gym consistently, working out. Doesn't have to be anything crazy. Just get to the gym, have a consistent routine, right, three to four times a week, just be able to do that and keep yourself accountable right and I find that just by having that type of mindset and having these type of habits you actually end up building a really good foundation for yourself because you can really start looking inwards right and seeing okay I can do this I can keep myself accountable on something like working out what else can I add maybe I can read a little bit every single day maybe I can do some research every single day maybe I can do two or three coffee chats a week with people. Just, you know, quickly reach out to some some professionals on LinkedIn, or email, or call them, stuff like that. And it starts building up. It's all in the mindset, my friend. Yeah. It's all in the mindset.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I found this quote, which I really liked. If you win the morning, you win the day. So that is why every single morning I wake up, I try mm-hmm. to have the most powerful morning I possibly could. Because then it's just... It it, it builds a good rest of the day. What's your powerful morning? Powerful morning? um, Get up before school before school. So or get up a lot before school then I go to the gym uh, Come back from the gym get ready for school. I go to school. I have a very nutritious breakfast Um, I Depending on how or depending on how I finish at the gym or how early I get up on some days I, if I have that extra little bit of time, I'd usually work on my podcast or work on some other things mm-hmm. or read a book um, and then then I go to school so I have I, I, I know I have that few hours before school that I could you know sleep in, get up, look at my phone, you know go on YouTube, watch some YouTube videos, um, then shower go and then go to school but I you know I, that's that's not really me. I get up every morning and I don't know, my friends always ask me like, why do you get up at 5 a.m., just go after school? And I'm like, if, if if I don't get up to the gym after school, I won't really feel like going Kinda to the tired, gym. right? Yeah. And honestly, I don't know, I don't know. For me, I, I don't know, I heard, I, I don't know who said this, but I heard this from one guy. He said, um, he doesn't like going to the gym uh, later in the day mm-hmm. because there are other teenagers there like fooling around, not really working out. But when you go in the morning, or when I go in the morning at my gym, like these big bodybuilders are there you know doing their reps you know and it, it just gives you kinda of like motivation to strive for success and do better And
1: you see the guys you know, grinding away yeah, every single day exactly. day in day out consistency my friend which gym do you go to?
0: Uh, Fitness Unlimited Fitness Unlimited yeah. nice. Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty big I, I like it can't complain.
1: That's awesome I've been uh, to, to share a little bit about that nice that you wake up at five in the morning because that's gonna set you up for success so Right now, I wake up at 4.30 every single morning, and not because nice. I want to, okay, it's, it's, it's a little bit yeah, yeah. tormented, <laughs> to be honest with you. I operate on Eastern Time. So when the market opens at 9.30 over there, 6.30 over here, three-hour time difference. Yeah. I need to be ready. My clients over on the East Coast start calling me already, right, at 5.45 in the morning. I need to be there to take the orders. I need to be there to get things ready. But. What prepared me for this lifestyle of being up super early is because I used to get up at 5.30 at 6, right? Even when I was in university, even when I was, well, not quite in in high school, but I was getting to it, right? With the earlier starts and training in the morning that did exactly what you did. Because at the end of the day, right, whether it's work, school or whatnot, you've spent most of your energy already, even if it's just mental energy, right? Knowing that we mostly have desk jobs. On tasks, you might not have the best focus at the gym. And getting tasks done early in the day, right? The very big tasks, like working out is not an easy task to do. It's a time commitment, it's an hour, an hour and a half of very intense focus, right? If you're gonna be working out really hard and training well. Getting that done, it gives you a sense of accomplishment, it releases those endorphins. Okay, I got a big thing done today already. I set the tone for the day really well, right? I'm not slow. I'm not sluggish. I got it done. And then it puts you in a good mood for the rest of the day to crush your day. And it's it's just amazing what what the difference would be for that. And I really do miss that because right now, no matter what I try, I won't be able to work out in the morning anymore because, like, if you think about it, up at 4.30, take 30 minutes to shower, get ready, et cetera, out the door. Um, Takes me about twenty-five minutes to drive here. I really only have twenty minutes to do whatever, and that's not enough time. So if I wanted to work out, I'd have to wake up at three thirty, two thirty, maybe even. And that's just can't do that. I'm not. That's like Dwayne the Rock Johnson. You know, (laughs) I can't do that. That's that's psychopathic stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I work out after work during the weekdays, and then uh, on the weekends I go early in the morning. Yeah. That's my way of kind of, you know, when people are sleeping in on the weekends, I'm still getting the grind, and get, getting ready for the day, you know, beating them a little bit, right? It's, just, it's not, I don't really have competitors in that sense, but I like to set, you know, mental targets. So yeah. it just keeps me on track.
0: Yeah, the thing that motivates me about getting up early, especially in the summer, um, is that when I, when I wake up and it's still dark outside, Yeah and you know, either I work or I go to the gym, I just know that I've accomplished more than the sun has on this part of the world. I
1: like that, that's good. So I
0: don't know, that, that just gets me like pumped up, like the sun, like everybody relies on it, you know? um, and I've already done more work than the sun has. That's I don't know, it just, it just you know, yeah. that, the reason I said in the summer is because the sun gets up earlier in the summer than it does in the winter, um, but I don't know, it's just, it's just a thing that you know, keeps me going.
1: You just gotta get your vitamin D in. Yeah,
0: <laughs> Wake up before it's
1: light and then you go to sleep after it's dark, you know, it's 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 one of those things. For me, I, I have that happen to me all the time now because of my job, right, the schedule, especially in the winters. You don't see the sun when you're driving into work, and right now if you look outside, it's getting dark already. And yeah. usually I end my day around five or six, um, so it's 12 hour days, right, but I choose to do that because I have meetings after um, the market closes and I don't really consider that to be too much work. It's really just like hanging out with any friends, right? Your clients end up being your closest friends after doing business for a while. It's really interesting. I think that, you know, many people, they think math when it comes to finance, right? But really it's a lot of social. And, and you'll find very much success in being social and having people just like you in general. You get a lot of business that way. You get a lot of clientele really quickly too. Super important.
0: Mm-hmm what is uh because we're on top topic of getting up early you would yeah. have to go sleep way earlier oh totally to me i find that difficult uh i well i trained myself I, before i was a uh, night person a night owl i trained myself to be a morning person but still going to sleep on that time just because i have so much work to get done and all of yeah. that it's, it's kind of difficult because it kind of gets pushed back oh i i need to you know do this for half an hour and then I need to do this for another half an hour and it turns out you're only getting six or five hours of sleep so what what strategies do you implement to help you go on sleep on time
1: it's really tough it's It's probably the toughest thing because you know after a day of work especially you kind of want to have a little bit of time for yourself to relax and unwind and whatnot and I find that that shrinks depending on how busy you are and sometimes you try to get control back by staying up a little bit later I can go to sleep one hour later. I'm enjoying the show or I want to play some video games or I got to finish this up real quick give, like, give me 30 minutes and then it ends up going for hours and then two hours, and then you're messing up your schedule But what I will say actually is if you sacrifice a few tasks you have a hard cutoff, right? Let's say for example you're working you got a few things that on, that's on your to-do list. You really want to cross them off well if you leave it for tomorrow and you end up aiming for the eight hours of sleep you'll do it more efficiently so the next day you'll actually be able to cross off the list a lot quicker right if you consistently sleep well and be well rested versus being sleep deprived i think i read a stats on where productivity goes up by anywhere from 30 to 50 percent that's a lot oh,
0: wow. it's
1: a lot of productivity right because you're sharper you're quicker your actions and, the, and that is after
0: how many hours of sleep sorry
1: that's around whatever is Good quality for you. Everybody varies. Okay, some people yeah. can function off six. Some people function off eight. Some people need ten, right? Sweet spot for average person, seven to eight hours, I would okay. say. So, you know, it, it, and for me, certainly, going from five hours to seven or eight hours, I notice that I'm procrastinating a lot less. I'm probably saving an hour and a half a day just from, you know, efficiency and tasks by being well-rested. So what I do now? Hard cut off, I don't take any meetings past six. No dinner meetings on a weekday, on the weekend, sure. I can flex a little bit. No work or emails or anything, notification-wise on my phone, past seven. In bed, 7.45 to eight, usually conquered out by 8.30. That's what I try, right? Some nights, maybe a little bit later, yeah, yeah. 9, 9.30, yeah. maybe, depending on the circumstances of what I'm doing. And if it's a very urgent um, business matter, then obviously you got to make sacrifices. You can't be super rigid, but you need to be strict on yourself, right? Because investing in your own health is just as important as investing in your business. It all goes hand in hand. Can't be stressing about, you know, work when you're not even stressing about your own sleep. Because you'll make more mistakes, you'll be more lethargic, you'll have um, less efficiency and productivity, and it's just overall becomes very miserable for you to stay awake, right? That's not a fun existence to be in. You should love your job and also enjoy working on it, right, and have fun doing so. I find that when I'm sleep deprived, I'm not having any fun, and it all becomes miserable, and that's a surefire way to lead to burnout. I was close, but not quite there. So pulled myself out of that, yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: interesting, yeah, I don't know going going to sleep on time is difficult, but I'll for sure try your suggestions on you know turning the phone off, normal work after this time, no more answering calls or whatever after this time, and
1: a little bit every single day, right, you yeah. can do it three days out of the
0: week if you want
1: and uh, and maybe make it four and five and six eventually, and then you'll be you'll be right on track, yeah yeah
0: i our bodies adapt to things very very easily we are you know the adapting type of creatures totally and for me uh, it takes me about a week to two weeks to break out of a habit or break into a habit mm-hmm. um, so I don't know if, if like my advice if you want to start something if you wanna you know, I don't know, go to the gym in the morning or you know be more productive after school start don't do it for one or two days because yes one or two days might you know you, you might feel good after one or two days that you know you've done that but push for one to two weeks because after that just becomes routine mm-hmm. and once mm-hmm. it becomes routine you don't even notice it it just flies by or at least for me it flies by you don't even notice it when i go to the gym i like don't really notice it. i'm just at the gym there i'm at home already you know, I already spent two hours of my morning or whatever. So.
1: You learn to enjoy it. Yeah. The hardest part is the first, yeah, two weeks. Yeah. For me, I, I think uh, habits form for me around three to four weeks. So I have a little bit of extra time I need to push through. But yeah, for, I, I think that one to two weeks is a really great target to have. And once you get to two weeks, you'll kind of realize if you really enjoy doing this or if you just hate it so much you don't want to continue anymore. But you have to. It's it's easy to say you hate something when it's difficult, and quit before you get to the point where it becomes enjoyable. If that makes any yeah. sense. So you really gotta know yourself well to differentiate that. That's yeah. the only thing to,
0: to to I guess be careful of. I think. Yeah, I go by I, I, I go I go by this little quote. It's um. Do, what was it? It was, do something you hate until you love it. There, there you go. So, for example, like, I hated running. Running, I, I hated it so much, but I knew I needed it because I'd get burned out easily during mm-hmm. volleyball or whatever I was, I was doing. So, you know, me and my friend, I pushed my friend outside in the morning, too, before it was during summer break. And, you know, we'd go on runs. He'd hate it more than I would. But we'd both hate running. And I said, let's keep running until we start liking it. And then we can stop. But the thing is, once you start liking it, you won't want to stop. Mhm so if, if if you know if if you need to get a good habit of you know doing something, just I don't know, I just keep that in mind, do something you hate until you love it because when you start liking it, you won't want to stop. So
1: It's how the gym formed for me?: Yeah, exactly. I didn't really enjoy it in the beginning. I didn't enjoy a lot of things in the beginning, right it was. Sweaty, it was hard, it was difficult, like I was weak, right? I didn't like the way I looked in the mirror. And everything about the gym was a negative connotation. But after the first few weeks and you see the growth and you see the change, you start liking it just a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more every single day, right? And it grows. It grows a lot over time. And you do something you hate for a long enough time that's not dangerous for you or harms you. You just might, add, uh, might end up liking it or loving it right? It becomes second nature. It's yeah. it's awesome. And, you know, from what you told me, you would be very, very good in business. You have potential in that. So, Matt, obviously you mentioned to me that you had interest in finance and some careers in finance. Yeah. What yeah. were you kind of thinking, like ideas wise? Were you looking at anything
0: specific or? I mean, in the future, I'd want to have my own business. Yeah. I'd say I have a pretty, uh, Entrepreneurish, ish mindset Mm i'd say mm -hmm. um and finance would obviously be a good place to start
1: would be yeah
0: um finance business marketing any any one of those would be a good place but then again like almost everybody else i'm still uncertain about what i might want to do after high school i Mm -hmm. know i should start applying already Mm -hmm. um i'm in grade 12 already and it's january so but yeah no i think I think somewhere, some, somewhere in that general area would be, would be nice.
1: I think a really good place to start would be at a bank. I started at a bank. So this was first year of university and I was in, I was in Beattie at SFU. So what ended up happening was is I was with a girl at the time, I'm, I'm not going to mention any names in the off chance that somebody listens and you know (laughs) we ended up splitting up and you know i was working at a ramen shop at the time right it's called ginya i think there's still a branch downtown if i'm not mistaken really delicious ramen i was working as a server but it was kind of just like a part-time job you know keeping me occupied paying some bills while i was in university and nothing really too concrete right Mm -hmm. you know you can call it a dead-end job if you want and then after our rocky split, I had this fire that ignited in me for whatever reason. I, need, I just wanted to kind of get my stuff together and get my act together as, you know, not just a student, but also as a person, right? So I went and I applied to, I don't even know how many, I would like to say dozens, but maybe it pushed up to hundreds of branches of banks. RBC, TD, BMO, HSBC. I tried online applications, didn't work. Got rejected every single time. They didn't even pay me any attention. I tried going in and you know talking to the advisors and tellers. Yeah. Didn't really work. Brought my resume and I went to, I still remember this. I was in an area called Carisdale, So it's actually really close to UBC. Uh, Took yeah. the 41st straight in there. I went to two banks. I had my resume in hand, and I walked into the branch. This was just six years ago. It wasn't that long ago. I shook the manager's hand, and I said, My name is Chen. Here's my resume. I would really love to take five minutes of your time and introduce myself. I'm very interested in applying to be a teller. That was my introduction to both of these managers at RBC and TV, mm-hmm. and both of them actually gave me their time of day and interviewed me. I was 19 at the time. And after a few rounds, I ended up choosing RBC and I became the youngest teller in that branch that I think they ever ended up hiring They had to make a special um, occasion to allow me to work there part-time, 25 hours, uh, hours a week. And through the bank, I learned how to talk to clients, learned how to talk to people, how to be professional, how to sell. I became one of the younger... Banking advisors, which was a mutual fund salesman in the region. And then through that job, I met a gentleman who introduced me to my current job. So one day, a gentleman comes in, I've already met him a couple of times, we're really friendly, right? And we're just kind of doing small talk, chatting, he was taking some cash out. He was like, hey Chen, you know, I just went to this massage parlor over down the street. It's called Happy Feet. You ever been there before? I cracked a really bad joke. like a, Don't repeat that, but it was risky, but yeah. it paid off. He just cracked up. He howled. He loved it. Loved the joke. And he says, you know, Chen, you got some personality on you, kid. I like that. I like that a lot. I work with a, a partner at this brokerage firm. How about we set you up with an interview? We got an internship position available. Well, it turns out this gentleman was one of the biggest clients of the firm. I didn't even realize that, I was just talking to him like a normal person, Right, yeah. cracked a joke, and loved it. Next thing you know, calling the senior partner who ended up being the executive vice president and also director of the firm, and uh, I had an internship position lined up for me the next week. So I was at the bank, I was an intern, year two in university at SFU. Holy crap, what's going on with my life, man? What is going on? I was just totally overwhelmed. It was insane. From that point on, my entire life turned upside down. And it was just, you know, think, about, yeah. think of a rocket ship going up. And, and that's been my trajectory ever since. All through one connection. And that's all because of one breakup that motivated me to go and apply to one bank. Do you see the butterfly effect there? Right? If, any, if one of those things didn't end up happening, I wouldn't be where I am today. Yeah. Maybe I would be, I don't know, right? Life finds a way, but it, it's very curious how if any one of these events didn't occur, I wouldn't be where I am today. Or if I didn't have the balls to grab onto any of these opportunities, I wouldn't be where I am today. I had to choose to go and apply to a different job. I could have stayed at, as a server at, at a ramen bar for my entire, you know, four years in school. Right. I chose not to. I could have said, okay, I give up after the numerous rejections after the online applications. I could have chose to up, uh, give up after, you know, speaking to tellers and them saying, oh, I don't think that, you know, we have any positions available. I chose to give it one last chance, and I went and I did the riskiest thing and the most old school thing you can think of. Going to the manager's office, looking them in the eye, shaking their hand, giving them the resumes. It's, it's boomer stuff. You know what I mean? That should never work. Yeah. But for me, fortunately and luckily, I did. And from there, it was just snowball ever since, right? And I've been applying that principle to, for, for me ever since. Never say no to an opportunity or an introduction that doesn't harm you and doesn't waste your time, right? I'll never say no to that. If I think that meeting somebody has value, absolutely, let's go for 30-minute coffee. If I can bring value to them, yeah, let's go for a 30-minute coffee, right? and wasting time goes both ways right so it's one of those things if i can even provide anybody value i'll happily take 15 20 30 minutes of my time and speak to them i've talked to so many um so many high school students university students who needed guidance who needed you know a little mentorship or advice from somebody who's not too far along ahead of them in terms of career or or uh, professional development and I'll always be happy to do so, no matter where I am. And I f- you'll, you'll find a lot of people in finance will have the same mindset because that's what got them here. The reason why they're here is because of that mindset, and it, it will perpetuate. Obviously, you'll encounter the one or two assholes, right, that you don't yeah. really like talking yeah. to and, and who are really mean and stuck up. But most people you'll find are really quite friendly. It's mm-hmm. a good business to be in.
0: So what was different between those two banks that you came up with the resume and the other ones that you came up with the resume what mm-hmm. did you do differently or you did everything exactly the same they just happened to agree to those 5 minutes chat with you
1: i created a template that i thought would work right a very direct and concise approach and i just replicated it for you know for the best optimal results I only needed to do it twice, and I ended up getting two interviews. So I just it was it was really good for some reason. And um, what made me choose RBC over TD? Really, number one, the culture looked a little bit better over there. TD, it's it was a lot of young people, but from what I heard, they're a little bit more aggressive in pushing their salesmen, right, to okay. to pitch credit cards or mutual funds or referrals or stuff like that. I wasn't too comfortable with that right in the beginning because I, I'm just you know not knowledgeable enough to do so, right? And I don't want to force anybody to go into something that might not be suitable for them. Mm -hmm. There's no sense pitching an old lady a credit card or being forced to do so because you have some quotas to meet. RPC had a more relaxed vibe. You could kind of guide people based on on how you feel. Like, they didn't give you set targets. And the pay was, I think, just a little bit better. Not huge, but I just liked the vibe a little bit more. It was a great opportunity for me. Mm -hmm.
0: What advice could you give to to students who want to get into a job, but they're not having any luck or no one's really taking the time to talk to them Mm -hmm. for those five minutes that you had? Mm -hmm. What advice would you give to them to help them out? If you're
1: doing the same thing over and over and over again and it's not working, what do you think is the issue? That's something you have to ask yourself. Always ask yourself questions. Mm -hmm. Is it you or is it the process? Where is the issue? Why are these people not wanting to spend five minutes to even give you the time of day? What is wrong, right? Where is the problem? Once you can figure out and identify that problem, you tweak it and then you try again. It's all about building a system, having it optimized, replicating it a couple of times and seeing what the end result is. If you do like for example, right, you cold call a hundred people. I find it really hard to believe that not even a single person out of the hundred will give you five or ten minutes just to talk with you, right? And for your experience you probably have called hundreds or yeah. reached thousands of people for your podcast. Your your success story is great. You've got a lot of people on your show. You've got a lot of very knowledgeable and industry professionals to speak and spend time with you. You have a formula that works. To the people that have a formula that doesn't, one of the variables are wrong, right? Figure out what it is, change it, try again. You'll find something that works for sure. Mm -hmm. I believe that for everybody. Mm -hmm.
0: So the reason you chose finance was because of the ramen shop and then the bank and then now you're here?
1: I actually always knew I wanted to do finance in some sort of way but I was kind of in the same position right I didn't have that kickstart, something Mm. in me the fire the drive I always knew I wanted to do finance because I was good with math and good with numbers and I was pretty personable as a person I didn't realize how important that was until I started diving into the profession but I had an idea that's, that's the most important thing, and that's what drove me to choose business. Right? I wanted to make money, and I wanted to build something. And the, in my mind, right, as a naive grade 12 or grade 11 um, student, the fastest way to do so was the profession in finance. And I guess that's, that's what a lot of people repeat. And, you know, you hear what some people say, and you're like, oh, yeah, finance sounds like a pretty good idea, not, not really knowing what finance is, right? You think, okay, the bank, oh, investment banking. Stocks and stuff, charts, ooh, cool, you know? Yeah. So, the idea became a bigger picture and it became a reality.
0: Mm-hmm. How was university life like for you? Boring. Yeah.
1: Really boring. Other than the parties, which, okay, to, 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 to the people who are about to enter university listening to this... My advice is if you're going to be drinking very heavily for a long night, right, eat something very dense beforehand. It'll slow down the drunkenness creeping up on you. It's going to be more level over the night and drink tons of water because the hangover the next day is going to be terrible. Okay. Bad advice aside university for me was boring because Classes were just terrible to injure. I I, I personally don't like sitting for an hour and a half listening to somebody talk about a topic that I can probably learn in 45 minutes on my own reading the book. I've always been good at studying and I've always been good at learning, so I use my time efficiently. I skipped class and I worked. Terrible advice for most people, okay? Don't copy this. This is what worked for me. If you have great, I guess, book smarts, you can use this too. I skipped class, I went and I worked and then I studied after work, right, on classes that I missed. I never missed an assignment. I never missed an exam. I never missed a mandatory class where you can earn free marks. Super important to just get all the freebies out of the way, right? And I network with people where I tried to. I find that I don't really talk to any of my university associates anymore. It's funny how that ends up happening. But it might have just been a byproduct of the school I went to, which is SFU. The culture is not really quite there, I found. People just go there, attend the classes, and go home. There's no campus life. It's quite lonely at times, too. Mm -hmm. But it was a great experience, really. You have to be super independent to even get through it because you don't get handheld in any course. The first year in university, I got my ass kicked. I was a straight-A student in high school. Perfect marks, right? My grade 12 um, application scores, I believe, was averaged around 96% for the courses I submitted to university. I was a total nerd. Went into university first year, I got straight C-minuses. Academic probation. True story. True story. (laughs) I'm not exaggerating. I was on academic probation for an entire semester. I got out of it, and I got my stuff together, and I ended up getting, a um, at the end of the I guess my, my, for my concentration, I had a 3.6 GPA, which is not perfect, right? But it was still better than 2.0. <laughs> how,
0: how, how exactly does GPA work? It's, it's grade point average, yeah. but how, how exactly do you... It,
1: I forget how the calculations work because it's been a while now, yeah, but yeah. it's uh, it's based off of your percentages and your grade, um, so it's an average of your grade point. Each course has credits, and what you uh, end up earning on the credits multiplied by your GPA per credit is added up for all the courses you take and then divided and averaged out,
0: Oh, okay. if that makes
1: any sense. Okay,
0: okay. Yeah. So, so it's accumulation of all the courses you take. I see. Why? Because… Why, why would be, it? it's out of four, right?
1: Yeah, 4.34 for SFU, I believe. Okay,
0: why, wouldn't it just be easier to make it out of 100 and then you have your grade point, like percentage average yeah, to totally, your
1: classes? totally, totally, makes no sense for me. Okay, because I,
0: I was thinking, like, why?
1: Why have that system? I, I don't know. <laughs> There's a lot of things that could be more efficient, I guess, but they must have a good reason for it, yeah. right? Or they're too lazy to change and it's ancient. Potentially maybe that too maybe that too, but I don't know. It's a very good point
0: (laughs) How was how was picking out universities for you? Was it difficult or did you have people that wanted you to go to this university and study this or Mm -hmm. how was it? How was it like coming out of high school?
1: You know, from an Asian background, there's expectations on universities to go to, right? You needed to go to something at least with a decent enough name. So I was really pressured to, you know, apply to a lot of Ivy League schools and also universities like U of T, right, McGill, UBC, SFU. Obviously, SFU was lower on the totem pole than the other ones, Um, Ivy. And really what came down to it was... For me, I I wanted to live in Vancouver for a little while longer. Um, I liked the environment here. I liked my friends. I liked my family. I didn't want to move anywhere else and explore that much. That was just a me thing. right? I'm very happy where where we are. But another thing that came down to it was also cost. right? Universities in the States would cost a lot of money. And I'm not from a super wealthy background. So I had to think, how am I going to afford this? I can't, I don't really wanna take on, you know, hundreds of thousands of student loan debt, not be, or risk, you know, going into a career field I'm not too sure if I was gonna succeed in, which in hindsight, it was actually probably a good move because in the first year I really did tragically. So it wasn't until year two, three, four that I really started climbing and figuring stuff out. So yeah, uh, for me, the biggest thing was I was just comfortable, I guess, and I wanted to stay local I messed up a course and I missed the application deadline for UBC, so I scrapped it all together. I got Langara acceptance as a backup plan and I went and applied to SFUBD and I
0: got in there. So
1: that was kind of my process.
0: Mm-hmm. How do classes or lectures look like at university?
1: You sit in a room that's a hall with 200 plus people, maybe, right? And the professor talks for. An hour-and-a-half two hours sometimes even three hours it's crazy it's, it's it's nothing like high school I'll tell you guys that much and there's no hand holding you got to do the assignments yourself and you got to just submit everything on time and um, and there are really no second chances or other opportunities if you mess up an exam I don't think many professors would be very inclined to give you a second chance on that and uh, Take good notes if you struggle with studying, review them very frequently, look at the textbook, do practice problems. But yeah, lectures are just boring, super, super boring. I didn't
0: like them. Would, <laughs> you, would you rather have went to university where their class sizes are smaller? Let's say, let's say SFU had class sizes, class sizes like high school does, mm-hmm. 20 kids, mm-hmm. um, one teacher, and it's kind of like high school. Would, would that, would that interest you more than sitting in a lecture? No.
1: Oh, no? Okay. <laughs> it's a good point, right? Because maybe you get more interaction and on the stuff that you learn. Maybe you get a higher quality of education as well. So after lectures, you usually get these tutorial classes. And that's done by the teacher's assistant. And that's broken up into smaller chunks. You get 20 or 30 people in there maybe, right? So that gives you condensed activities, knowledge, supplementary information, assignments and stuff. So there is an alternative like, section of education, right? So for me, I just didn't like learning in terms of listening. I just, it's not for me. It never has been for me. I was the kid sleeping in class. You know, I, I was the, the worst student possible. But. I was really good at learning from books and doing things myself. So you find your own way, we'll say it that much, mm-hmm. yeah, you find your own way.
0: You mentioned studying was a big, a big plus for you, you were good at studying. Yes. What strategies do you use, let's say I have an upcoming exam, mm-hmm. what strategies and what would you do in my position mm-hmm. to you know, gain more knowledge about the subject and you know, do good on that exam?
1: It's, it's again, it's very tough. It works differently for every single person. Um, I'll share some things that would really help me and right, what I ended up doing. So, as you know, I hated lectures, never attended them. I hated taking notes during lectures, never did that, never reviewed it. So, horrible student, bad example. What I ended up doing was, about a month or so leading up to the exam, I would shut myself into the room and break studying into, let's say, chunks every single day. One or two hour bursts with short breaks in between the 45 minutes, 50 minutes or so, like 5 to 10 minutes. I'll do two hours, go play some video games. Do another two hours, play some video games or do something else. And do another two hours. I would study the textbook first, I would read, take notes from the textbook, skim through a lot of different things, note down terminology, highlight stuff I think is important. I would do the entire textbook. And then I would break it down into chunks and do the practice questions. For each course, it takes about a month, to, if really, if you wanted to do something like this. I still do this now for a lot of my licensing. I can crank out a, a licensing course in two weeks if I really wanted to.
0: How, how much are they usually? Like
1: 600 pages. Yeah, five, 600 pages, approximately. I can crank out that much in two weeks and get a relatively decent grade. But that's just, you know, it's not going to work for everybody in that regard, right? But skim the contents, do and drill in the practice questions. That's where you retain the knowledge. You build a base of the knowledge, right? You kind of know it. It's kind of in your brain floating yeah, around yeah. somewhere, right? You know, it's like, yeah, I don't remember, kind of. And then you do the questions. Okay, you realize it. You crystallize that knowledge. Ah, I've seen that before. Oh, I've done this that way before. Okay, that triggers a memory, right? Do it again. You do it again. You do it again. Do the practice exams. Every single university textbook has a comprehensive list of questions. And also it has the cheat sheets too. You just have to pay for them, which is stupid. So go ask your professor or pirate it. It's bad advice. <laughs> so yeah, you, you just have to drill it. And then for, I guess, knowledge and terminology questions, Quizlet's really great. Make flashcards, make notes. They have interactive games. Do it a million times until you are just so fluent. And then you're good. And then you'll pass. You'll do well. And obviously, the more you study, the better your grade's going to be, right? And if maybe if I went to lectures and took notes, maybe I'd have a 4.0 GPA, maybe I wouldn't have been on academic probation for the first semester, you know, a lot of things I could have done differently, so it's, yeah, definitely, definitely, it's one of those things that that I think is quite important, and it worked for
0: me. I see. I had multiple podcasts with other financial specialists. Why are financial specialists not really comfortable with expressing their opinions on government regulated digital currencies?
1: It's a very sensitive
0: topic. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, Because
1: when you come to, when, when you really look at a cryptocurrency investor, right, they can sometimes be extremely passionate in the subject and it's such a new concept that Not all of the risks with the asset have been unveiled yet. There's not enough data that exists with the market of cryptocurrencies to give a fully fledged opinion. And all information and, and advice should be based off of data. I think cryptocurrency, in a very unique regard, is an anomaly in the market. It's something that's so unique. We've never seen it before. Right, And given how heavily regulated our industry is right, when it comes to financial advisors, investment advisors, specialists, it's very difficult to give an opinion on a matter that's as sensitive as this. And to keep compliant and to keep the regulators on side and to abide by all these rules in place, a lot of people choose to refrain from these sensitive topics. As, not because they don't have opinions on it per se, but more so out of preservation and, uh, and choosing intentionally not to touch on these topics. And you'll find that consistent for every single professional that's governed by a regulatory body. There are certain topics that they can or cannot touch on, including me, mm-hmm. hence why I didn't really give an opinion.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, fair enough. Um, I know you gotta run very, very soon, so uh, we'll skip towards the end here. Absolutely. Um, what is your favorite book that either helped you in your career or that one, or one you just like reading mm-hmm. and a favorite podcast that you like listening to? Oh, man. I, I, Books-wise, right?
1: I have a lot of book recommendations, but I'll, I'll touch on one that I think is really important. It's called Ego is the Enemy. And that book absolutely resonated with me because of the potential that our industry has. What do I mean by that? So as a young man, right? let's say you're in my shoes. You go from being absolutely nobody at the age of 19 to getting a relatively good job even for somebody out of university at the bank right? that's pretty well respected to becoming an intern at a stock brokerage firm. To becoming a fully licensed investment advisor, to managing client assets, to dealing with millionaires and the upper echelons of you could say Vancouver or Toronto or Canada. It's quite incredible. You move so quickly from being not recognized to being somebody that actually has significant value just within your network and what value you can provide to these people as well. You start meeting entrepreneurs that are worth hundreds of millions of dollars and billions and they actually want to speak with you because you have something to offer them. You can service them. And you end up making so much money very quickly, going from, let's say, 30 grand a year to breaking six figures just like that to touching the borders of half a million a year to a million dollars a year and beyond. All this can happen in the span of five years and in a good market who knows the sky's the limit right the most important thing you need to do is keep that ego in check you cannot forget where you came from you cannot forget who you once were you cannot become that person that everybody dislikes that book Is such a great read it's not long it's like 200 pages or something right it's a self-help book it's very easy to read through and it gives you some really great examples of people famous people historical figures who have experienced that right I think it's important for any aspiring entrepreneur to read because it'll keep you grounded and I find that if you can keep your ego in check you can make relationships last longer because You don't offend people as easily, right? Or get offended as easily. You learn how to deal with other people's emotions a lot better because you understand yourself well. You cultivate and grow upon these relationships a lot quicker too, just by being a humble person, right? You don't go around bragging about, oh, look at me, I made a million dollars last year, I drive my G-Wagon. You know, you, you, you don't yeah. go and come off as somebody that's pompous, that's arrogant, that's flamboyant, ostentatious. You, you just seem like a genuine guy, no matter what success you have, right? And I think that's, that's just so important in, in, as a person. You need to retain that. It's a core value of mine. Humbleness. And obviously, you know, people can mistake confidence as arrogance. I don't like to, I'm not humble in the way where I'm shy. I'm confident. I like to speak. I am outgoing and I have strong statements and thoughts and I know what I'm capable of. But I guess humble in a sense where always knowing that there is somebody else that's better than you. You do not know everything that exists in the world. You are not the best. You can always be better. You can always learn. You can always grow. That is the most important thing I find. Take criticism. Actually welcome it and enjoy it. Super important. S- have that stick with you for your entire life if you can. Yeah. And it will, it will benefit you greatly. And, you know, a very important thing that people who want to get into the client advisory side of finance, right? Whether you're going into investment banking, whether you're going to be making deals with people, whether you're going to have clients and manage a portfolio, Um, relationships, right? That's going to be the number one thing that you need to focus on. It's not about money. It's not about the sales. It's about the relationships. And how you build those, right, will be the most critical thing in how you grow as a person and how your book grows and how your network grows. Because through these relationships, you build what's called a reputation, right? Popularity, if you will. And that reputation spreads really far and really wide and really quickly because Canada's small. We don't have that many people here. Chances are, you talk to one person, that person knows another person that you're going to talk to a year from now. And that person's going to know another person you talked to for a year from now. And it's so important you have a great impression and you leave a good reputation. Because the moment that one person hears a bad thing, everybody knows about the bad stuff that you did, right? So build your relationship strong. Build it on trust and transparency. Build it on being a genuinely good person. Care about the people that you do business with. And the money will come. The relationships are all that matters. Try to keep them well and cherish them as well for the good guys. Super, super key lesson that I've learned um, in my short tenure so far.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry. And what was the book called that you were? Ego oh. is the enemy. Ego is
1: the enemy. Yeah. Ego By is who? the
0: enemy. I, was I forget I forget no. the
1: author's uh, the author's name. It's pretty popular though. He's Ego, written a
0: couple yeah. of different things. Yeah.
1: it's a red cover book. Okay. Yeah, it's, you, you'll, you'll know it when you see it.
0: Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it sounds like a good read. Uh, any podcasts?
1: No specific podcasts, no. actually, no. Yeah. Andrew Huberman, does that count? Yeah? Yeah, I yeah, like yeah. Andrew
0: Huberman here and there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's, I mean, for those who don't know, Andrew Huberman, could you just explain a little bit about... He is the most knowledgeable
1: person when it comes to fitness stuff I've ever heard in my entire life. He's great. I listen to him when I'm driving home and listen to him when I'm falling asleep. I listen to him when I'm working on some stuff. It's just great, right? You pick up on a few things here and there and then it benefits you because yet again, going back to it, if you take care of your health, your health takes care takes care of you. Yeah. So important. It's a holy trinity, right? Health, business, relationships. Got to take care of all three. You cannot sacrifice one out of the three. You need all three. Very difficult to achieve perfectly in harmony, but it's, if you can, my goodness, you're going to be so successful.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, just a bit of background on Andrew Huberman. He is a Stanford professor, and he started this own podcast away from his Stanford um, researches and studies, where he takes weeks, sometimes even months, to research a specific topic and then records a two hour episode about it and lays all that information in there and I, I've listened to a lot of his episodes, I find it really interesting. I have friends who have found him and listened to his episodes daily and yeah, they're, they're, they're very interesting. It's
1: highly recommended. Yeah. Very
0: highly recommended. Yeah. Anyway, I know you gotta run so uh, just want to say thank you for coming on, you know, it's been a pleasure. This is, this is one of a more like uh, chill, relaxed, more like easy going conversation and uh, you know this is this is what I'll try to do more often because I don't know I feel like it's working for me and yeah.
1: you got to mix in the uh, the 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 more intense ones with the chill ones right now hopefully with the chill ones you can you get really good essence out of it I'm sure that we've talked yeah. about some points right which we dived pretty deeply in and hopefully that brings a lot of value to the listeners as well and it's super important that we keep expanding on these topics for the next episode because we have so many things that have yet to be covered that i know you want to ask and (laughs) i know i want to say and talk about right so maybe you know later on we'll come on for episode round two and then we'll just keep expanding this and growing it yeah Just
0: continue the dialogue and continue the story. I would love to. That would be awesome. Well, awesome Chen, thank you so much for coming on. Excellent.